So it's a saying of the Buddhas that I often refer to. Um, you don't get to the end of suffering until you get to the end of the world. You don't get to the end of the world by running around on it, by running around in the planet, but within this very body, with its consciousness, perceptions and mind, is the beginning of the world, the end of the world and the way leading to the end of the world. And this is how we get to the end of suffering. So, it brings it back home, doesn't it? This is a very immediate and accessible teaching coming right back to this body. And um, in some ways it's slightly mysterious. Because you think, I don't see any path leading into the world in this thing. <laughs> but uh, the body body is, is, is a term that can be used in a number of ways. You know? We start we're talking about what's called the gross material body, which is the body that most people assume can see as a body. This is his physical qualities that you see with your eyes. You also sense it as a sense experience. Yeah. The tactile physicality of it all, what they call the gross material body. And um, so this is obvious. And it's that which operates through senses and is, you know, it touches things, you know, and it walks around in a world of sights and sounds. So this sensed gross body exists in the world of sights and senses and sounds and touches. It's a sense body. Everybody knows that. This one goes into the grave. This goes into the ground. In <laughs> some time or another, this one dies. And you have what's called a subtle body, which is internal. So the Buddha sometimes referred to contemplating the body externally, contemplating the body internally. And when he said internally, it doesn't mean contemplating the lungs or the spleen or the liver, the internal physical body, but the more the interior experience of body. As you're experiencing your body, you say, within me, within this body, how does it feel? Does it feel sick, healthy? Tight, balanced, unbalanced, shaky, calm, spacious, contracted. These are all internal qualities of body, which again, most people with a little bit of introspection will say, oh yes, that. Oh yeah, I do feel strange, or I do feel bright or expansive. I don't quite know what they're they're referring to, because there certainly can be an emotion associated with it. But there really is like a, a we call a somatic uh, experience. The internal body can feel brightened um, or, or dull or stagnant, sick. Um, and it's felt. So this is the internal, the subtle body. And when we contemplate that, we recognize it's it's kind of, it's to do with energies. That is, there's a lot of energy one feels very excited or revved up or sometimes too excited, you know, too stressed, or it feel tense and tight, or it can feel relaxed and supple, it can feel fluid and flowing, it can feel rigid and knotted. Mm-hmm. But these are all energies. Mm-hmm. When I say energy, I don't mean energy of power, I mean the energy of vitality. Uh, it's called it's called the fine material. 
level, the fine material realm. And this experience, the fine material or energetic realm, unites the body and what we call the mind, which from an external point of view, the body is bones and meat and the mind is thinking they're completely different realities. But we say on the internal energetic level, the mind is jumping and the body is agitated. Yeah, and they, they go together. If the mind is jumping, the body is agitated. If the body is steady and serene, the mind is calm, right? Yeah, if if the mind is, is gladdened and uplifted, the body is also bright mm-hmm. in internally. So on practice is a matter of like an interplay between these bodily and mental factors. We might start off with lifting the heart, with puja, visiting the teacher seeing the Buddha, whatever brightens and inspires us. And then acknowledging that, even reflecting on precepts and values and virtues, things that we hold dearly, we we brighten up. We get the brightened uju, uju citta, uju kaya, the upright mind, the upright mind. We come into that sense of, yes, this is what I'm about. This is what's meaningful. It's a gladdening and a brightening effect. And there's an embodied quality to that. We stand up straight. We we feel dignity. We feel self-respect. That's felt. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, then you start, okay, with this sustaining mindfulness of that. We stay within. The mindfulness is the ability to stay focused and steady on that particular experience. And I must say again, you know, um, this is... Definitely the message you're getting from the suttas, gladdening the mind, steadying the body, body gets refreshed, the mind gets happy, mind gets happy, the body gets comfortable, the mind gets serene, you enter samadhi. It's like that. This is the way it goes. And there's no description of focusing on any particular sensation. So it's not a narrowing of attention to a particular part of the body, or, or even on breathing as a particular point, it's on breathing as an overall suffusive flow. Yeah. There's no description of focusing on a particular point in the body. Just get the whole thing and let it flow. Now, this is particularly important or is significant to me because attention also has an effect on energy. Now, if your attention is, is is moving around very rapidly, your energy will also be quite agitated. If you've been, you know, going through the um, buses, railway stations, traffic, and looking at this, that, and the other, your energy will be stirred up. Attention, because you have to attend to many different things happening quickly. Attention span gets reduced in busy life to less than a second, you know, because you jump onto the next thing, particularly with screens and clicks you can click onto something in in a second you click onto the next thing so your attention span is just energy then is very agitated and this means often what happens a person leaves their embodiment because their body can't actually hold that that amount of, of busy energy but then again the remedy is if you are in that particular condition if you come into your body, you can begin to 
get the energy to steady and your attention will begin to compose itself. This is fundamental practice. So standing, walking, stretching, you know, and in the Buddha's teaching, presentation of Satipatthana talks about a wide range of bodily activities, even just cleaning your floor in a steady, composed way, you know, rather than hurrying up to get it done, you know, you know, even taking a shower in a steady, composed way rather than rushing to get it all cleaned up, just that has an effect because your attention is being held steady and, and soothed. Yeah? And this affects the energy. The energy then also becomes steadier and soothed. Now, if you compress your energy, your attention, you compress it by focusing on a particular point, that has an effect on your energy. Your energy becomes more intense. Mm-hmm. So if you compress your attention onto a narrow point, the energy becomes more intense because you're compressing energy. You're compressing the mind's energy. Now, you may like to do that. I mean, people like to have, like, you know, find detailed things they can work on, um, you know, computer games that they've got to think about. They like that compressing of attention because when you compress attention, the rest of the world disappears. Hmm? So you get focused on a particular point, the rest of the world disappears, that's great. So you get obsessive. And obsessive compulsion disorder is a disease, a psychological affliction that occurs because it can't manage the open state, therefore keep focusing on a particular obsessive pattern that will hold the mind steady because the energy is then held steady, but it's compressed. And if we begin to release that compression, then, ooh, suddenly, you know, hey, it's a lot more things moving. That one's awareness body doesn't have the capacity to handle. So we say, okay, well, try, you know, getting your attention to cover your entire body as you experience it, even the external body. That gives it definitely something to hold on to. And take your time to allow the energy that arises, which can be pretty, you know, unsettled and worried or agitated. And just, okay, that's that. And just hold that steadily within that sense of embodiment. This already is a powerful practice. Because mostly what happens when our energy and attention starts getting uh, distracted, we get oh, stop this, or we either follow the patterns of our thoughts, our emotional patterns, we follow them, yeah, or, or we distract ourselves, let's go somewhere else, think about something, do something, anything, get busy, get busy, get busy doing something, switch something on, get busy, uh, I've got to go now, I'll hurry up, you know, this kind of thing goes on. Or we go into, oh, and then painful memories, and this is your emotional body. The energy goes into creating or, or reaffirming an emotional body. The emotional body you can also call your karmic body. It means the particular um, template or blueprint of where your emotions go you know, in, in a repeated way. So some people go into, oh, I've got a lot to do, or... It's my fault. There's something wrong with me. Yeah, or 
it's everybody else's fault. There's something wrong with them. <laughs> there's a lot of blaming that goes on because when there's this state of things not being settled, things not being stable and settled, the reaction is there's something wrong. There's something wrong because it's not settled, it's not stable, it's not the way I want it to be. There's something wrong. So, well, there's something wrong with me. So then, worry, guilt, I must be a bad person. Oh, yes, I remember these terrible things I used to do or say. Or we start imagining we've done terrible things and feel guilty and regretful. So you get an emotional body that's based upon regret and guilt. Yeah. Or an emotional body that's based on obligation. I, I, I've got to do a lot of things for everybody else. I've got to make something work. I've got to, I've got to, I've got to. And what, where does that come from? Hmm. Right? So this is what happens when the energy isn't held steadily and isn't, you know, calmed and, and spread through the entire form is it starts to create this emotional body which can be quite uncomfortable quite inflamed a regret craving doubt what should i do what should i not do am i doing the right thing and, and come up with lots of thoughts and scenarios of what i should or could or not look right now for the next 20 minutes, you don't have to do any of that. You just, just be where you are in your body. I mean, you can worry later on, but for right now, let's see what it's like when you just, instead of believing the pictures and the images and the memories and the ideas that come up, you feel the energy as an energy. Feel the sense of your body bring the two together and keep referring to that inner body, the energy of your body, right the way down to your feet, your back, whole thing. And let this energy, emotional energy, move around until it begins to discharge, which is what it will do, which is what we don't know. We think... The only way to resolve this unpleasant feeling is to act upon it, to either react to it or close it down. So then the self gets in, stop this, do this, don't be this, be like that. Yeah. <laughs> now the non-self strategy is stop doing that. Feel your entire body, your inner body, your energy body, and if it feels compressed, just slightly open it. Feel a sense of expanding, just gently, till you feel bodily more and more comfortable and established. Listen to that. It has an effect because the bodily energy and the emotional energy are linked together. So we use the body to stabilize and rest the emotional energy. It's not that we shouldn't have emotion, but when it's distracted, emotion goes out. It goes out and it goes to self and me and mine and what I should be and what I am, what I'm not. 
it goes out. When it stays in, it becomes, this is happy, this is steady, this is joyful. So then you get the experience called rapture, which is when the emotional energy and the body energy combine and you're feeling a sense of uplift and gladness. This moves to ease. In that process, through cultivating like that, a certain third quality, third domain, the awareness body, which is something is also witnessing all this. And that also is like a presence that you can refer to as awareness. It's not a sensation. It's not an energy, it's a stability. It's not moving. And it's spacious and it's very settled. And, you know, that is the the way out. (laughs) Through holding this body and the energy that it contains in a skillful way, we find this is the place where it ends, not through aversion, not through suppressing something, but just through dispassionate release. And it's not self. The beauty of this is it's uh, it's very intimate. We can do it in our, in, in our own experience and it's also intimate but it's not self it's not my personal pattern it's not my personal opinion it's something that comes through dispassionately holding these these personal qualities when you find this to be a refuge in many ways I was visiting um, my elder brother yesterday. He has Alzheimer's and also Parkinson's disease. So he has these two. One, Parkinson's disease incapacitates the body and the Alzheimer's incapacitates the mind. So this is obviously a very, um, well, yeah, it's... uh, Dumb a, a messenger, you know, all this can break down. This body can break down, the physical body can break down, the mental faculties can break down. There's still still somebody, you're still in there. So I, I went to visit and um, he's unable to really communicate in any way even to recognize. I think he recognized, but he can't signify. In other words, he just sits there completely immobile. And so I, hello, you know, okay, nothing happens. Um, You know, just throw some words in, nothing happens. Obviously words aren't going to work here. Right, so I just bring awareness over the whole situation. 
And go, well, just make bodily contact. So I just, he has a leg. So I just start gently massaging a leg. And I get his hand, holding his hand, massaging his hand. Just sense of contact. And then spreading awareness over a situation with goodwill. And after about 10 minutes, he starts to speak. He can't make much sense, but at least you can see he's actually coming. He's encouraged by that to come out, to at least start to say something. And I'm just listening, encouraging, yeah. And then I just uh, just just started chanting. Metta, Metta Sutta, aspects of the Metta Sutta, just radiating loving kindness and holding, physically holding. And as I was doing that, he lying there, and his, his other hand comes over and grabs hold of mine. So we have these three hands linking together and just chanting slowly, Metta Sagatena, and you could sense. You know, you can't say it very much or do very much. You could feel the sense of ease and love and happiness because the energies are linking up. Body energy, the heart energy is linking up. So even though the thinking brain dissolves or breaks down, you can still have that sense of, you know, I am meeting this person. Or there is a meeting place here. And it's also not up to me to make something happen. You know, I cannot cure this person. I cannot change this person. There's nothing I can do or say, however much I would like to, that's going to be that you can receive. But you can still receive presence. You can still receive energy and still receive loving kindness. And as we're sitting there for about an hour or so, and then gradually his hand came stronger and stronger, holding on, and you could feel his life force coming up to meet that contact. You know, and this is uh, poignant. Um, but also something very satisfying because one feels my sense of wanting to do something, being a bit worried, wanting to help him, feeling, what can I do? Just relaxing, you know. Everybody gets to the end of their, their life. Everybody gets, sometimes people get to the end of their mind before they get to the end of their life or they get to the end of their ability to move before they get to the end of their life. But that doesn't mean you abandon them. It just means you abandon your wish that they be something other than the way they are right now. And then you can meet them. Once you start to do that, cultivate that with people who are dying, it's probably, you're more likely to, to practice it with people who are living <laughs> rather than always trying to make them somewhere or another or, you know, just hold of the awareness and loving kindness and trust 
they'll receive that and uh, the best will come out of that. Because actually, you don't start dying at 70. You start dying on day one. The process has already begun. We're all, all doing it. Yeah, in terms of the senses. But essentially, if you cultivate, instead of your life being a process of sensory arising and passing, it becomes one of handling the energy that's there and awareness and strength in that and trust and faith in that grows stronger and stronger and stronger. So by the time you're 70 or 80, you're in really good condition. <laughs> That's the point of this life. That's the point of being born, <laughs> is to use this experience in order to develop this kind of potential quality so that we can get to the end of the world before this body passes away. <laughs> But remember, you know, you, you reflect on people who, you can die, people could pass away quite immediately. How fragile this sensory world is and how inevitable it is to leave it. So external going out is dangerous. Stay internal. Cultivate the internal, cultivate the energies and the steadying. And then you can transmit you can move out with mindfulness and composure rather than compulsion and anxiety then that's your gift and that's your presentation dhamma in this lifespan so if this for your reflection today <laughs>